Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Match Machine podcast. Uh, you're listening to Amanda Cole and I'm very, very glad to have you all uh, listening to the podcast today. I have with me my esteemed guest, Clay. Say hello, Clay. Hello, Clay. <laughs> it's so great to have you on. I'm actually a little nervous and I've been nervous the last few podcasts because I've had some um, really heavy hitting like podcasters on my tiny little terribly produced show. So please pardon my ums and ahs as I go through today. I'll be counting them all up and then ready to nitpick them later, which is what I apparently my reputation is, even though I don't pay attention to that type of stuff at all. <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate the nitpicking. Um, Clay, you're so good at the nitpicking, so that'll be great. <laughs> Um, oh, I've got plenty of big picture stuff to pick. Big picture stuff? Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, so let me just start by explaining to anybody who's listening to the podcast for the first time uh, what this is. So the Doctor Who Match Machine is a machine uh, that, much like the TARDIS, kind of flies around in time and space until it uh, has an encounter with somebody here on Earth. It's and uh, at that point, uh, you kind of interact with the machine much in the way of like the way that you would fill out a survey or a questionnaire on something like Match.com, right? It's like a dating device. And so Clay got to fill out uh, his survey, and um, the survey then uh, was fed into the algorithm, and it spit out Clay's supposedly perfect match. Uh, but not a person. It's an episode of Doctor Who. This could and be a so, person. It could be a person. Do you think so? Yeah. So, in what way? Oh, you know, it's it's imperfect and kind of uh, rough around the edges and not very well produced. Just like a person. <laughs> Just like a person. Well, that's an interesting take on it. Well, so your um, match, uh, since we're talking about it, was the Doctor Who movie, the TV movie from, gosh, what year was it, 1994? 1996, I believe. 96. Okay. And um, so what we'll do is we'll just kind of chat a little bit about who you are, and maybe the audience listening can think a little bit about why you might have been matched with this episode. Okay? Okay, sounds great. Super. Thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, tell me a little bit about what you do for a living. I work for a nonprofit organization called the Interfaith Community, and I run uh, the programs and basically the office entirely. We put on uh, events for families that have different religions in the family to try to help them to respect both of the religions and backgrounds and a bunch of fun stuff like that. And I teach and train the teachers and hire the teachers to do things for those classes. That's really interesting. I don't know if I actually knew. I knew that you were, um, are you ordained or you have some kind of higher level degree in I have religion? a master's, I have a master's of divinity degree from the university of, from the universe, from Union Theological Seminary. Okay. So what inspired you to go for um, a higher level degree in this kind of a um, study area? I've always been super interested in the things that I don't understand and particularly don't have a whole, <laughs> I don't have a lot of 
interest in personally on kind of a emotional level and so I got super interested in religion because of that um, which is kind of the opposite of how most people get to that point and so and so I went to seminary to study religion um, because it's super fascinating to me sort of as an outsider and also I've also been particularly interested in kind of the intersection between being accepted as a part of any of these kind of traditional or philosophically religious type of institutions and what it means to be an outsider and I've always felt between those spaces and so I've always been super interested in trying to help people who are also between those spaces for different reasons and that's sort of what the work that I do is geared toward um, the people that we I work with at the interfaith community are not the same in any type of way, but they do have both of that desire to be a part of something and also an outsider status that I find super interesting in just about everything. And I went to seminary at Union here in New York because it's a social justice oriented place. And I used to be, I, I still am in many ways, but I used to be like a, a hardcore activist. I used to be the, the guy who got arrested doing protests at the School of the Americas and stuff like that. And so I've always been really interested in bridging the gaps between those type of things and what it means to be within one of the worlds when you're doing things from the other world. And that's what I do. I feel like it's what I do also when I'm talking about Doctor Who, so it kind of all comes back <laughs> around again on the other side. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm so grateful to get that insight. Um, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I grew up sort of hardcore Pentecostal. Um, and it wasn't until my parents divorced um, when I was about 13 years old that we moved away from my um, Pentecostal side of the family. And uh -huh. I was allowed to kind of explore other ways of experiencing religion. And um, I, I think it's really... Um, interesting that you uh, sort of take up for those people that are maybe not 100% invested into a specific way of um, practicing their religion, but they're sort of exploring other types of meaning. Am I understanding what you do correctly? Yes. I mean, what I, that's my actual job at the interfaith community is a little bit less of that, although that is definitively what my kind of philosophical underpinning between behind what I do is. So uh, at the interfaith community, it's really one family is from one religious tradition, say Judaism, a different member, one, one member of the family, like the father, and then the mother is, say, Catholic, and how does that family live, and what does that family do, and do they, they're kind of not entirely accepted in either the Catholic Church or in many sects of Judaism because of the breakdown, particularly if it's the the mother is the Catholic one, right? It becomes even more complicated. And so huh. my work at the interfaith community deals with that in particular, but the thing that you said is definitely what I'm interested in kind of in a meta global sense. Right. Your work must be so rewarding. That's so cool. Yeah. Maybe sometimes. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, if you could have uh, any job in the world, um, if you could just, you know, spin some dice and have it pop back up and say, okay, I'm this now, what would that job be for you? Uh, I've always wanted to be the Secretary of State of the United States and <laughs> then later on be 
Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Um, wow. Why is that? Uh, because I've never been a politician, and so I never wanted to be president. But I've always been significantly interested in both global issues and trying to engage in diplomacy instead of war and things like that. And the, when you're not a puppet like some people currently to <laughs> other countries, um, you have a lot of influence in those areas and right. you are instilled with a purpose that is given to you because I do have specific political viewpoints or stuff too. So I don't have any interest in not being a part of that, but I would want to be able to do it on behalf of the greater good. So it's like with Jimmy Carter, if Jimmy Carter had been secretary of state and been exactly Jimmy Carter, everyone would think completely differently about Jimmy Carter. Right. Um, and that's what I would like. And then after that, I do have particular and kind of very, very, very strong, interest in constitutional law and what it means and exactly why and how the country has come to the place that it is and what is meaningful about it and kind of tearing it apart and building it back up and specifically I am an anti-structuralist so I want uh -huh. to go argue I used to want to go argue with Antonin Scalia but now that he's gone <laughs> um, since Gorsuch got thrown onto the court then I'll argue uh -huh. with him instead there you go <laughs> Wow. Well, you're doing really good work. Just keep it up. Um, you know, I live in the um, sort of the middle of the country, like right sort of there in the central area. And we do feel very isolated here. And it's so great to me when I get to talk to people who live on the East Coast or they live sort of in those areas that are a little bit more metropolized and a little bit more bustling. feels like I get a totally different perspective. It's crazy. I live in the middle of, you know, Pentecostal land in here. So... It's interesting to hear people talk from, from different cultural perspectives. I really appreciate, again, I mean, I can say it over and over again. I'm so, so glad you're on the show just because uh, you bring this fresh perspective that I'm not used to hearing. You know? that's, that's super funny. I live in New York City now, but I actually grew up in Columbus, Georgia, and grew up in a Southern Baptist, well, grew up just outside of a Southern Baptist church because I would go and get into big arguments with the people who were running the church, both both Brother David Howell, who was the pastor, and Brother Jim, who was kind of the weird, creepy other guy. Um, right. And, and <laughs> so there's always one of those weird, creepy other guys, right? Yeah, and so That's I was... I would I would get thrown out of my Sunday school class for asking the wrong questions, and so I got thrown out of Georgia is how I kind of think of it sometimes. Wow. Love it. Love it. Well, um, I guess just one more question from your survey. Tell me about your favorite movie. Do you remember what you said? I believe that I said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, basically, any movie with a gigantic title... Um, I often say I often say Citizen Kane, but I feel like my fa I feel like Citizen Kane is not even actually my favorite Orson Welles movie. It's The Magnificent Ambersons, but nobody knows what that movie is. It's most of the yeah, time I've never heard of that. Uh, um, it's his second movie, and it was cut to death, and so the final the final product is not as good as it could be, and stuff like that, which leads leads it into this space that you could imagine the movie as it should have been and stuff like that. But the thing that popped to mind immediately when I answered the question on the thing was Eternal Sunshine, which is my favorite movie of the past 15 years, definitely. I think I saw that once when it first came out, but it's been so long I've sort of forgotten. It's Jim Carrey and a bus ride. 
the bus like is at one scene of it. He's on a bus. Yes. Uh, the main plot <laughs> is Kate Winslet, who is definitively my favorite actress, uh, is the love interest of Jim Carrey. And yeah, th- the story is about uh, he went to a place that was erasing her from his mind. Oh, yes. Yes. It was like, what's that movie where he has all the tattoos over him to remind him and it's kind of going in reverse? Memento? Uh, Yes, Memento is the one, yeah. Yeah, so sort of similarly, like, the the brain memory center is tampered with. Yes. Yes. I think I remembered something about that. Okay, well, um, so anyway, those were just a couple of the questions that you answered on the Match Machine survey. Um, it sort of plugged everything in and came out with this episode the Doctor Who movie. So, if it, like I told you on the Facebook group, if it had to happen to somebody, I'm glad it happened to you. <laughs> um, I, I like the movie. What What did you think of this match for you? What were your initial like impressions? Um, I was trying to figure out what may have led it to decide that this was my my perfect match. And at one point, and I know this is one of the questions from later, so I could I could wait. But uh, the one thought I thought maybe it's the perfect match for me because I can have a conversation in opposition to it the entire time. As I said at the beginning, <laughs> like it's a person and people are imperfect and that's what's interesting about them, right? So maybe that's what it was <laughs> which was bringing me to this particular um, <laughs> not my favorite Doctor Who episode, which does have yeah. elements that I that I do really enjoy though, so it, which I... Yeah which I was trying to pull back out as I was rewatching it. <laughs> yeah, there's so much going on here just with this movie um, in terms of just thematically there's a lot going on, but then also just, um, you're right, it's kind of a hot mess in many ways. I was thinking about that earlier when I was rewatching it, that um, the it, it, just the whole notion of this, and you can correct me because, I, you know, my facts on Doctor Who, by the way, I have a couple of new... Um, listeners. So hello, thank you very much for coming in and listening. I have a couple of them that are like, you get some of your facts wrong. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's because I'm an imperfect person. And I get a lot of my um, information about Doctor Who episodes and some of the backstory and the history. I get that from blogs and different sites that might not be great. So anyway, what I understand is that they made this movie for a TV audience um, that was in America, right? Yes, it was it was made in partnership between the BBC and Fox and was first broadcast in the United States. And so the intention was that even though this was after all of the wilderness years or during the wilderness years or whatever, it was after the initial run of classic Doctor Who in Europe, right, in um, Britain or the UK or London or wherever... Sorry, I know I'm butchering all of those locations. Geography is not my strong point. All of, but... all of those locations would be included in the, in the idea. I think it's good. Okay. So then what happened was, uh, because it was off the air for so long, they thought they would maybe reboot it and do it in the States as a TV show. But they were starting with this movie to see how it would go. Am I correct? Yes, it was It was kind of a pilot for a potential series that was a one airing of this movie. Theoretically, it would have been picked up for a full series run. Okay. So then what I um, kind of get out of this, knowing what I knew about that particular fact about it, um, is that they created a show that has so many American elements into it, 
but it's created for people who really understand classic who and get all the references which the american audience would not have necessarily done they wouldn't have had that like um rich history now you can get like on pbs you know they could have watched some of the previous doctor who's and stuff like that but they don't have that rich cultural attachment to um doctor who like those in europe would have at the time um i and that's just kind of the impression that i get and so that's where some of the problems come for me is that it's like oh well yeah you want to market to an american audience but you're not really i'd say that i would i agree with that problem sort of um and that i do believe that is part of it i believe that the biggest problem with the movie and again as i said there are some parts that i definitely do like and i want to get to those but i'm i am known in kind of doctor who circles in particular as the person who comes in and tears things apart so it was pretty uh, <laughs> that's uh, okay yeah uh, the biggest issue that i saw and particularly re-watching this again today is that the tone is all over the place. It's got too many scenes that are overtly comedic mixed with the ridiculously over the top over the top nature of the darkness of some of the things like like the master the Eric Roberts master immediately killing his wife and it's just it's it's there's no consistency of tone and there's no consistency between whether they're actually taking what it is they're trying to do seriously or not. So there's there's homage paid to the various aspects of the classic series things that i really like like the fact that sylvester mccoy is actually in it at the beginning and then that's undermined by just some really really wonky choices Uh, the entire idea to have the master as the villain particularly in the just weird way they did it was a big problem so right yeah the 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 idea of something like that works theoretically as like the end of the third season of the revived series right the master comes back absolutely yeah Uh, Yeah. in this to have it be the first thing and then to have to have like the first five minutes of the entire movie be explain who the master is explain where the master's been and what's happening and why he's on the tardis and then he becomes a globby snake creature (laughs) yes well that was my point exactly is that the first opening lines of the movie you know is it's sylvester mccoy as the doctor so first of all this is not going to appeal to anybody who's watching the show for the very first time just because they don't know who sylvester mccoy is they don't have any attachment to him they don't have a relationship to him and here he is explaining that um, his old buddy, the Master, was on trial on Scarrow and got convicted. And now he has to bring his body back to Gallifrey because of his request or whatever. And he's just said all of these words that these new fans, they don't, they don't know what that means. And so um, it was just a weird way to start the movie, I think. I think I'm in agreement with you there. Like, it's just strange for them to do it that way. Right. When instead they could have had, I mean, they could have had... Sylvester McCoy started out, pop out of the TARDIS and do some things and wind up, hopefully in a less ridiculous way, be shot and then meet Grace and all of that part becomes exactly the same. But then it turns out that, say, the Daleks are invading Earth and the Doctor has to get his senses back about him and fight the McGann Doctor, has to get his senses back about him and fight the Daleks. And then it ends on a big, like triumphant note just like right. usually and you know it, maybe they it's were just a better to, story 
it could be that just that they were trying to avoid using the Daleks because they had already been used in other movies, or maybe they didn't have the rights at the time. I know there was this just this big like to do about for the longest time about getting the rights to use the Daleks in certain things. Um, yeah, it's cer- certainly possible they didn't have them, but the but the way they you, used the Master was we. It was just really strange. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. The other thing is just that Sylvester McCoy is there for the for however many minutes of the story, like the first 25 minutes or something. So we don't even get Paul McGann as the Doctor until a good portion of the way into the show. Um, I love lots of things about this movie, and I know you said you did too. One of the things that I really like about it is that uh, you have Grace as the companion, and I love her as the companion for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the things that I like is that she is um, medical, and I'm medical, so that's fun to kind of relate to. Um, she's very, um, she's she's got some agency. She's got her own story and kind of a backstory, and we don't get that a lot with classic companions when they first come in. I mean, we kind of get their trope, like, oh, she's the journalist, or she's the sexy one, right? So Grace actually had a little bit of a story and a job, like a career so that kind of made me like her a lot. Yes, I will say I I very much like Grace and would have definitely enjoyed seeing more of Grace. Um, and I like Daphne Ashbrook too. Like you know, it's it's I feel like I feel like the character definitely had plenty of interesting places the character could have gone. As usual, I feel like over the course of the story they kind of undermine the character because we can get into the I'm not a romantic subplot fan of in anything even like romantic comedies it's not oh, a doctor really? who problem for me it's a uh, it's a life problem that's, I, uh, where, this, that's where we're gonna diverge because that's the one thing that i just love this so so much about this movie is that you get that romantic sort of aspect of the doctor and his um his interest in this human so i like i happen to really like that stuff yeah i happen to just i just find it kind of tedious although funny enough <laughs> in this particular movie the two like best scenes are grace and the doctor like when he's like running around outside in the park and i think i think they kiss the first time and uh-huh. then the scene at the end where they're kind of doing the whole romantic thing are two good scenes because the two of them are really interesting and kind of carry the screen better than a lot of the just dumb other parts of the movie um, yes can I just interject with like a girl moment here? I, I, maybe maybe I don't need to gender that. Sorry, let me back up. Can I just interject with like just like a romantic kissy moment here? And I just want to talk about that kiss for a second. Yeah. Because um, when uh, I, I'm really, um, my husband makes a lot of fun of me, <laughs> I guess, because um, I I really watch kisses on screen. I think that they're really. This is just the romantic part of me. So, like, in The Office, I watch The Office. I really, really will stop whatever I'm doing, and I'll pay attention to the screen when Jim kisses Pam for the first time. It's the same thing. Like, if the Doctor and River Song, um, 10th Doctor and River Song, 11th Doctor and River Song, oh, I guess it was just 11 and River that kiss. So if they're having a kiss on the I will stop and I will watch. And he's like, you're gross. I'm like, I'm not gross. I'm just, for whatever reason, it's really captivating to me. And when the Eighth Doctor um, kisses Daphne Ashbrook, uh, Grace, in this show, it's a horrible on-screen kiss. It's a beautiful moment, and I'm so sad that, like, the very first time that a Doctor kisses a companion on screen, it's 
spitty. Like, you can see the spit come out of his mouth when he breaks off of the kiss from her. It it ruins the whole thing for me. It's so gross. I did not notice that. What I thought of, what I remembered from it, although, thinking of spitty, there's so many moments in this with the master and his, like, saliva running all the way down his face. It's <laughs> problems. So true. <laughs> Maybe it's just they have, like, a spit theme happening throughout. <laughs> The it's, thing that I noticed about British it... British actor thing. It's just, <laughs> just spit everywhere. Well, that is definitely true. The, the thing about it that I noticed with the kiss is... There were multiple ones, right? I feel like there are. I will just watch the thing, but I I know yeah. I noticed that they were... They're very, very short. And I feel like... I feel like they were afraid to really just commit to it. Like, I know that in that last one, the big, like, romantic one there's fireworks going off behind them and all of that stuff, but they were still, I mean, they were still just kind of, yeah, bad kisses. They weren't good kisses. Yeah, they were not either. good kisses. You're absolutely right. Just terrible kisses. And that makes me so sad for Doctor Who, because in the new series, they've done some really, really nice-looking kisses on screen. So, um, poor Paul McGann. They did him a disservice, but... That's all right. He hardly yeah. knew how to use his body at all, so... <laughs> <laughs> what makes you say that? He just—he just got it under his. He just got. He, it was like a new model. He's oh, trying body, to take body. it out to spin. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I thought you were maybe mentioning on on Paul McGann's acting abilities. <laughs> oh no, he's—he's he's not my favorite actor to play the Doctor, but he was—he's he—he uh, is pretty solid, as, especially with the material that he's been given here. Uh, it's one of the big things that I always think about when I watch this. Is I—I I would have been interested in seeing a an actual series where where um where they go together and actually start having adventures that aren't so terrible as this one and yeah. Chang Chang and Grace and McGann's doctor are all really characters that I think would have been really cool to follow in the TARDIS together which could have been set back up right they, right I point. agree mm-hmm do you have you ever um i don't know what your experience with um doctor who outside of the tv series is i know you've watched classic and new but are you familiar with any of the big finish stuff i am familiar with it but it is (laughs) i am i am a all or nothing type of person and because it's just so much then i am a nothing like i i just (laughs) i i won't I won't consider it when I consider the things, even though I know that, particularly with the Eighth Doctor, it's like the, I mean, it's obviously the vast majority of his material, but I don't know the stories, or, and I don't consider it canon, even though it is officially. Is it officially? How do they determine that? Well, the way that is in this way, well, I guess it isn't officially, but they've always talked about it in that sense, and then they used... All of the companions that the Eighth Doctor had in Big Finish, he mentions in The Night of the Doctor. And so, because of that, people have then retroactively turned those... They say, you know, Night of the Doctor is obviously canon. So he's, I mean, yeah, it's part of the show. But it was a YouTube clip. You know, it was like an extra. But it was part of the show. Those are part of the show, and I count those definitively. That's real. Also, didn't it... Didn't it actually air in the BBC right before the show? Maybe Did that's it? not true. I, I, that's where I'm not sure about the. Uh, I just know that I count the things filmed for television, which were on the DVD or not. They, I mean, I know it was presented with the rest of the show, and it's on the DVD for 
for the 50th anniversary special. And so all you that count stuff. that as canon. So what about yeah. like the 11th Doctor outtake extra things where he's running around with River and they're doing all these side quests? I also um, count those as canon. I just the, think they're stupid. <laughs> you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. So, I actually kind of like a few of them, but they're, the ones that I don't like... The the one that I don't like the most is the one that explains how Strax comes back to life. Oh, where uh, they don't they cut to Strax? I've maybe only seen that once. Yeah, it like starts with Strax, and it's at the end of a good man goes to war, and they're like, "Oh, you're not dead after all," because that should have been Reason. on the actual Be- show itself. Yeah, because reasons, right? And right. then suddenly he's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's Moffat though. That's classic Moffat, right? Oh, that's 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 definitively Moffat Moffating all over the place. <laughs> we're gonna kill you, but we're not really gonna kill you. So mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, nobody's ever actually dead in Moffat world. Um, so this uh, movie. Um, so like I said, I think my favorite parts of this um really just involve Grace. Um, what. What are the things that you really like about the movie? I know that you said you, there's a lot of things you don't like about it, and there's things that you do like about it. Tell me about the things you do like. The things I, I do like, as you said, that Grace has a kind of a actual life and an actual career and an actual backstory. Some aspects of the backstory, I think, are a little trite, but uh, that she has them is better than if she didn't. And I definitely really like all the parts where Paul McGann is like slowly regaining insight into what's going on. And so he and Grace are riding around on the scooter and remembering he's remembering the various things that make him the Doctor. And they're the moments that kind of I always my favorite part of every Doctor's first couple stories is the part where the Doctor shows the two sides, right? The really silly, goofy fun side which could be uh-huh. sarcastic or what but it's always been there since the Hartnell doctor that there's just the doctor's funny the doctor is, yeah, is, he is. witty and yeah. that's got to be part of the character and the doctor's goofy right the doctor does just like dance around like a penguin or something is going to happen and right. then the flip side of that where the doctor lays down and is like no i'm here to protect everyone and all of that stuff like okay. the two sides are really important and in this the first side is there a lot and i really like it and the second side does at least come in so that when they're doing the whole thing with the cloister bell and he's convincing charlie that charlie chang yeah that um that he needs to uh not follow the master like he's doing a lot of those things and so i like that they tried to get all of that in here Again, the plot is so bad that I don't think that they did the second part as well as they could have if it was a more straightforward plot. Right. So um, I have to ask you, since you mentioned the scooter, I know that when they take the scooter, this happens right after um, the doctor takes the gun from a cop and points the gun at himself. First he points the gun at the cop and then he points the gun at himself and he says, don't. Uh, he's like taking himself hostage, right? He's like giving the right. scooter, or, or I'll shoot myself. Tell me what you thought. What were your thoughts when you saw this? So I'm, I'm not a person who thinks the doctor should never touch a gun. I don't think the doctor should go around threatening to shoot other people or himself. So 
that was weird and problematic, and I try to write it up to the Doctor really not knowing what's happening, not having a lot of control over himself still. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, so if you, if you say it's regeneration sickness or whatever, then it becomes better than if he's just done it. I, it's, there are, I mean, it's, there's so, it, it, it that, and the half union thing, and everything oh, so, to do okay, with so wait, Eric yeah, Roberts. So the half human thing. So I know if you watch like the outtakes of this um, movie, if you have a movie version that has like outtakes and behind the scenes stuff, they actually recorded a lot more stuff that had to do with this half human stuff. And he went into this whole backstory of how his mom was human and then his dad was a time Lord or vice versa. I can't remember which and him and the master were supposed to be brothers and it was just a whole backstory that's just, it just, it got cut and it never got put in. But uh, I can't remember which part was, was it put in there at all that he was partly human? I can't remember. Yes, he says he's half human on his mother's side. Okay, okay. So that's a, that, that bothers you, that's a problem. Yes, I mean, I wouldn't even have a problem if they decided to moffet it and rewrite history and make him half human on his mother's side. I just don't like that they decided that needed to be done right so it's it's a it's a smaller problem as a part of a bigger problem because i i just don't accept it even though it's canonically true the doctor lies is part of the thing right and i just don't think i think he's just babbling is the way i kind of head cannon out of it and right. so luckily well, they cut all the rest of that stuff you're talking about because that's definitely not something i consider right the the deleted scenes that are deleted in the way that you're talking about and not presented later on as real um, right i don't count and i can't because that would just be awful um, <laughs> so why would that be so awful do you think because because that's such bad rewriting of the history of the show in order to try to make him accessible so it goes okay. into the whole getting making it an american thing and setting it here and having all of the companions be american and all of that stuff so it's like oh we can't have this character who's from the beginning supposed to have been an alien and is alien in many specific ways but oh if we want him to be able to have a relationship with the earth woman and all of this let's let's try to bring it back to to this and then we're going to try to define like you say define the master as his brother where they have like an a Zoroastrian type of relationship with each other. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, did they ever talk in the new series about, or even the classic series, about uh, his parentage other than just in the movie? Like, I, I'm trying to think if they ever addressed this at any other point. So, no, for the classic series, I don't think that it. I don't think that it ever came up as a specific thing at all. Right? But he's definitely always in the classic series has been a Gallifreyan Time Lord in right. whatever definition that means. Right. Um, and then in the new series, they have his mother or parentage or whatever is sometimes a part of it, especially in the middle of some of the more Moffaty of Moffatings, like when he's living in the barn and all of that stuff. And, um, What's it called with the with the blanket well, creature? Listen. Yeah. So I didn't understand and listen that that was maybe even somebody who was 
his mom, like it could have been um, a nanny or somebody who was just like a babysitter or somebody who also shared the house that he lived in. I don't. Did they ever really say who that was to him? That it was really his mom? Oh no! But that's what I think. The I don't see why. So right, it doesn't make sense to make it someone else. There's never been any implication that he was an orphan. Or that he would live with other people. And then if they're living in a barn where there are no other people there, it seems. It, I mean, that whole story is just... I don't like it at all. So there's a whole other side to this. But I believe that that is who that's supposed to be. So, no, they don't say, hey, you're my mom, how are you? But that's the parental figure in a parental right. decision in a thing that is not... It's not like a school setting or a setting where there are other kids or any of those things. It's a setting that's like a family setting. So if it is his mom, is there any reason why it couldn't be a human person who had been brought to Gallifrey? Because certainly there were other humans who were sometimes brought to Gallifrey. Oh, yes. If you want to follow through with this horrible decision they made in this movie (laughs) and make it the case forever, you can do that. I don't know that I do want to. I mean, you know, what, I, what I've always said to people is that I, I kind of, I trust the writers pretty good. Um, most of the time, I've been able to watch an episode of Doctor Who, and in my head, because I watch like a simpleton, right? When I watch, I go, yeah, that was a pretty good episode, you know? And I don't, I don't overthink things until then I watch them the second or the third or the fourth time through, and then I go, oh, wait, wait just a minute. It's at that point that my academic scholarly brain sort of enters the equation um doctor who is i I don't know if you know but i you know i teach college right i do yep doctor who is what i do to get away from academia so Mm -hmm. when i sit down to watch doctor who i turn off the scholarly part of my brain and i just kind of watch and i go oh that was good entertainment you know so then like i said it's only the third or fourth watching that i go wait a minute hold on back up um, yeah, people, I, I definitely wish I had some ability to do that, but I am not, and I don't consider it a positive thing most of the time. I'm just not capable of of just turning that part of my brain off. It just, yeah. my immediate thought whenever I see something is all the stuff that I say on these podcasts. Right. <laughs> and so I can't, I can't turn well, it off and I can't make it slower. Right. Well, when I listen to the podcasts, I go, gosh, you know, why didn't I think of that? Or I don't understand why I didn't notice that when I watched it the first time. I was just having a good time, you know. So then I watch, I like, I listen to podcasts. And there's many podcasts I listen to that break these episodes down. Um, Cole Hill AV Club is one. You know, TARDIS Tavern, I listen to pretty frequently. The Verity podcast um, is another. What's the other one that's kind of big? Radio Freak Scarrow, I listen to that a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like a dummy when I listen to all y'all's podcasts because I go, oh my gosh, they are so smart. Like, I can't believe they picked up on that stuff. And I was just looking at the pretty graphics, you know. Although often we miss the, like, meaning of the story and also I think, and I definitely include myself in this, we create problems where there weren't necessarily problems and things <laughs> like that too. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't count yourself out for just – for enjoying the show or not agreeing with whatever (laughs) random nonsense I have to say. No, but your nonsense is not nonsense, and it's certainly not random. It's thoughtful, and it's pointed, and you make excellent points. Like, you're... um, So, in the new series, we had a... um, In series 10, we had an episode that had a whole arc. uh, It wasn't even an arc. It was just like a... 
a story plot subplot where the doctor um, sort of manipulates Bill into shooting him. And I, I know you knew I was going there. You yep. know, you guys talked about this for a long time on your podcast. When I first watched that episode, it just didn't even register to me. I, I, I was looking at the pretty regeneration. And then I was like, oh, he didn't regenerate. That's cool. And then I laughed. And then we moved on. And then you guys talked about how when you make the audience laugh at the fact that he just humiliated Bill, like, that's a problem. And I went, oh, shoot, I'm proud of the problem. Like, that's, <laughs> I laughed, you know. So you're, you guys are, you're, you're very, very smart. And, you, you know, you, you're able to kind of see through some of these problems in a way that it takes me a couple of times through. And I don't know if it's just because of my cultural surroundings or if it's just, the fact that I turn all that off and I just sort of blindly accept whatever's coming at me. Um, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing and I think it's necessary. And it's good to be critical sometimes of what we're feeding our brains when it comes to our entertainment. And oftentimes just kind of feeling and going along with the emotional flow is also a good thing for your brain as well. So I think that that's... There's, there's definitely positive steps to take from either way that you look at the show, and, and I think that either choosing to do it one way or choosing to do it another way, or whichever, if you're just happy or stuck doing it the way that I am, <laughs> then you can... Um, there's always different levels of interesting and important stuff there. And as I often say, and I said in particular for this moment... There are ways that that moment, the the idea behind the whole Bill shooting the doctor and the manipulation and all that stuff, there are ways that that could be written where it's okay, in the sense of it has ramifications for the characters, and you're meant to deal with it, and there are ways that it could be written where it's specifically not okay and that there's problems with it and all of that stuff, which is how I think it actually was on the show. But either of those things is super interesting to talk about, and I think that's what's great about the show, is that the show allows for different levels of watching. And there's many different shows and many different types of media that we consume that do that, and those are the ones that are interesting to me. And I think that there are there's more of a sense of doing it, and there's a way to do it with almost anything, depending upon how you look at it, that can be super interesting. But I think that when something has kind of a, aspires to a level of interaction like Doctor Who does, it creates in us a sense of more ability to really connect to it and really tear it apart. And all of those things are good, and I think that that's kind of the quintessential element of the show, and also why I think the show has a responsibility to its fans and stuff like that. Yeah. There's just nothing out there like the Doctor Who fan then. I mean, really. People who don't attend conventions and they don't engage in the fandom aspect of the show, I don't think they understand just how deep that river runs. Like, it's it's awesome. There's so much to be learned, and there's such diversity. And I've always said, you know, I'm a person who I know my values, and I stick to my values. One of the things that I value is diversity, and I love the diversity that is in the Doctor Who fandom. Um, it's, it's there, and it's accessible. So it's great that not only is there diversity present, but I can actually... Um, interact with that diversity so it's great yeah that's super great part of the fandom yeah um, so back to the movie um, Eric Roberts as the master fan not a fan 
So I'm not particularly a fan of Eric Roberts as a human being. Um, he seems to be much wow. nicer now than he used to be, <laughs> but that is something that I'm not quite able to uh, let go of. Wow. I, you know, I've only had good interactions with him. I, I rode an elevator with him a couple of times, and he was uh, there with um, his wife. He seems to like to bring his wife along to conventions with him. Oh, yes, which which is good. His... His relationship with his current wife seems to be very good. Uh, there are, I don't want to get into it, but there are things that I think are completely legitimate and like, you know, police reports about former Whoa. things that he has done that are the problem that I have with him. Not, I mean, as I said, he seems to be a relatively kind of nice guy now, which is good, but it's hard to let go of things that you hear from the past at least wow. when you're me um I'm and so i'm like digging after we get down here that's crazy um <laughs> and so there's that and then um, yeah he's uh i don't think i've ever seen him in any other thing i know he's done some movies and stuff he's julia roberts brother and i mean their relationship was supposed to have fallen apart because of the thing that i was talking about before but that type of uh yeah um, I always forget about him being Julia Roberts' brother. Like, I always forget that. I only really know him, know him from this movie. And then he did, like, a music video with, was it Beyonce? Um, oh, now somebody. you're talking about stuff I have absolutely no clue. Yes. Uh, it was, no, was it Rihanna? Which one of those did the song, um, Bitch Better Have My Money? He was in that music video. So <laughs> apparently that's, like, a thing. Um, but I only really know him from this. And in this, I have to say, I mean, definitively, if I were to rank the the things that I like and dislike about this, everything to do with the Master is at the very bottom of my list. And that includes the overall weirdly acted way that it is, which I don't really blame Eric Roberts for. I think it was directed and is in the script that he's supposed to be as kind of randomly camp and over the top and cat eyes and snake creatures and it's just I, I it's hard for me to separate how much I don't like this iteration of what the master even is from anything else to do with this and it's also just the do notion that like, he's purely evil yeah do you like this master better or worse than Harold Saxon um Worse than Harold Saxon, which is not to say that I like Harold Saxon. <laughs> uh, not a fan of Harold Saxon, I have to say, for myself. But Right. I, I'm not a fan of Harold Saxon either, although if you rank those, if you rank the Sim portrayals of the Master, I'd say, I mean, the Harold Saxon Master is a, is a terrible creature. Um, but I think that the destroyed broken Harold Saxon master is probably more irritating so like the end of time master is the worst of the sim masters than the the Harold Saxon actually as Harold Saxon okay so you're talking about middle. like the skeleton version yeah, right that shows the little skeleton outline that mm-hmm. one and then the one yeah. that happened actually this week I rather liked I mean I didn't like him as yes. a person you know he's, he's the bad but he was throwback he, sim like yeah, he's a he was, throwback to Delgado and all of them yes and he still had a lot of the same things that made him a 
you know, the things that make him a villain were all still there, but his portrayal was just much better and the character was written in a much better way. And I think part of that was having both Capaldi's doctor and Missy's Missy to play yeah. off of. But um, yeah. it, it was, yeah, as far as those, as far as the Sim version of the Master goes, well, and the only like, time I've liked um, him was this last week. Yes, and, and there wasn't like Voodoo Child playing in the background. It's like random music snippets yeah yeah and and so eric roberts master is is i definitely do think i'd like him even less than the worst of those sim masters but it's close with that stupid electric fireball guy <laughs> well the sim uh it's not, not sim master the eric roberts master for my part i i tend to kind of like just because i like campy stuff but mostly just because i like his costume I mean, I don't think it's so much to do with the character itself. I just love those robes. I love that they brought him in in those Time Lord robes. They're amazing. Um, I will but, say, I did like the Time Lord robes at the end, and I always forget that, because even when you just said that you liked his costume, I'm like, you liked his, like, pretending to be the Terminator costume with the leather jacket and the aviators? No. And I was no. Like, oh. Yeah, no. No, it's the Time Lord robes. They're amazing. So iconic. Yeah, and the Time Lord robes, yes. As a, you know, as a costume-oriented person, I wouldn't say I'm very good at doing costumes or making them or, or even, you know, evaluating them, but I'm oriented towards really noticing them and liking them. Um, I, anything that stands out to me as being like an icon or like an iconic version of a costume, um, you know, those are things that I can just... Anytime it comes on the screen, I stop and I watch. You know, I stop whatever I'm doing and I look. And when the Eric Roberts master comes on the screen in those Time Lord robes, I stop and I look because it's just fab. It's so good. I'm in the middle of making a version of that costume, but I don't know if it'll ever be finished. Oh, that's really cool, though. Yeah. And (laughs) do you think those, I mean, those robes were just kind of chilling out in the TARDIS, right? So do you think the Doctor has put them on and just kind of wanders around in them sometimes? Uh, see, now you're getting into some gross um, fanfic area where they have the Doctor and the Master, like, being buddies of um, more of a romantic nature, right? Oh, I'm not, because this is just those <laughs> those clothes, the Master took them from inside the TARDIS. Okay, okay. Uh, so that's my brain went very wristed. That's <laughs> that, what does that say about me? <laughs> uh, shoot. Um, okay, Will Sasso in this movie fan no fan basically i didn't have a problem with will sasso being there and like doing the things he did including even passing out when the doctor comes out of the morgue or whatever um in the first part but then i just wish that it had never he'd never shown back up again because every time (laughs) he popped back up in little clips after that i was just annoyed is it because it, it jacked with the tone for you? It just, every yes. time Will Sasso's on, it's comic relief, right? Yes, exactly. So, And I okay. got to the point where I could stand Nardole's comic relief in the current series after they made him not ridiculous like he was in, like, the pilot. Um, and so I'm, I can be okay with comic relief, but the tone was just wildly divergent in this movie. And Sasso was a huge part of that, especially, again... 
if you were building comedy into things, it's fine. But this was never building comedy in. It was, let's have a super serious, like, dramatic moment undercut by comedy in a way that I think is neither good for comedy nor for dramatic moments. It's bad storytelling. Right. Uh, another thing that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned, we're um, running a little bit close to the end of the podcast here, but I wanted to make sure that we talked about some of the religious overtones um, because in my head, um, that was maybe one of the reasons that the match machine thought you might like this episode. Oh. Um, and so can you talk about that or did you notice any of that? So I did notice some ver- some religious stuff that was happening over the course of this and there's there's I'm interested in what in particular it is that you're thinking and then I'll react to it I think. Okay, so for example when the doctor regenerates, obviously there's the whole like um being, you know, re uh raising from the dead, yeah. um rising up, you know, that kind of uh, sort uh-huh. of iconic sort of imagery. Mhm. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, and I was really particularly thinking about that because this this one does do that kind of weird thing where it, it lets the Doctor be completely dead and then then start to regenerate after, however that works. And he comes out of the tomb and breaks the door down and I guess Sasso's there to be like Peter and those guys. Like, um, right. I... I can see where that's coming from, but it's it's interesting. It's interesting because I don't know that it plays with the type of mythology of like there's a sense of religious iconography to Doctor Who that happens throughout the course of the show. But the oh, right. Doctor like, Who so this isn't the only episode that does it, right? It just right. does it a little bit. It flirts with it and then it yes. goes away, right? Uh-huh. Yes. And then when we hit like towards the end of RTD era we get full-on, like, no, no, let's go ahead and embrace this, and we're going to talk about the religious, you know, aspects of the Doctor. Yes, and the entire Doctor, the RTD era, particularly kind of the Tenth Doctor's stay in the RTD era, has a whole lot of notion of whether or not the Doctor is a god and what it means to be alone in the universe and all of that stuff, which is super interesting. And, yeah, this didn't have much of that. And then... It's interesting because, yes, I see all of the moments that you're talking about there, but then this doesn't seem to follow through on them. Right. Where the rest of the story doesn't... The sacrifice that the Doctor makes, you know, or the redemption or any of those things don't have kind of a thematic through element to the rest of the story. If somehow that was how the Master was defeated, if it were... Although, I guess you could say the Eye of Harmony has kind of a religious take on it, too, but it's more of a kind of sacramental reliquary um, version of the religious understanding. Right. So, I thought, you know, this, at the very beginning, it has that sort of... um, It's like it's flirting with it. It's like it's going, oh, hey, this is going to be a movie where we pull in some religious overtones or undertones or however you want to say it um and then it starts there and then that's that's as far as it goes um i think later on in the movie like he has a line where he talks with grace a little bit about how she can stop death or bring back life or something 
I think that's it. I don't know that they ever really revisit it. So I wanted to hear your take on that. I think it's it's gratifying to hear that you also kind of didn't see anything kind of returning. Yeah. In terms of those themes, yeah. Yeah, and I think it would have been. I think it would have made for this story in and of itself to be better if it had gone there. Yeah. So interesting. Well, let me ask you a question uh, that I ask. I've been starting to ask this since the last podcast. I think we figured out the right way to ask this question. Okay. So okay. the question is, if you had gone on a date with this episode, how would that date have ended? Oh wow! Um, I <laughs> believe that. I mean, we would have made it through the entire date because we would have had all of these interesting conversations. And both of us would have thought the entire time, wow, this person is super interesting, but I kind of hate them. And so <laughs> and so, at the end of the night, I think we would have um, awkwardly said our goodbyes and then uh, written to our friends and said, Wow, that was a super interesting date. I'm glad I went on that interesting date. And then never spoken again. <laughs> Let me ask you, are, do you think that there would have been one spitty kiss at the end? Oh yeah, I mean, I just throw a spitty kiss in there every time, just to see what happens. And then maybe yeah. a lick, maybe a little face lick. Oh, stop, that's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Clay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm, again, this is like the fifth time I've said it, but I'm so appreciative. It's so great to have your voice on here and to hear your perspective on uh, Doctor Who. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy your show. I think you're doing great stuff here. And I love this whole concept with the match machine and the way that we get to watch episodes that we weren't planning on watching is super interesting. <laughs> um, What's funny to me is that people think that they're going to get their favorite episode that they're going to get matched with but that's not how dating works oh yeah definitely i mean i <laughs> i'll date anybody most that like i'm super interested in all types of different people and all types of different perspectives and all types of different doctor who so basically doctor who match machine i'm a i'm a very uh polyamorous person so you can just match me up with everybody come on doctor oh, who match machine I give me more matches <laughs> Bring it on. Oh, good. I get to learn new vocabulary, polyamorous. I learned some new ones this this week about uh, different types of being romantic. So you're only romantic like if you're in the presence of somebody you have a strong connecti- connection with. Or I, I can't that's, remember. That's uh, demi-romantic, I believe. That's the one. Yeah. It's yep. all these. There was a whole list of them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, so many new vocabulary ones to learn. Like, I am struggling. But... It's okay. I'll make an effort because I love my friends, but oh my God. <laughs> it's super interesting. It's it's very interesting to learn about those things and kind of come to various conclusions and figure out more things about yourselves and about your friends and just kind of, we all live in a great big world that has a whole lot of different stuff in it that's really interesting to talk about, to experience, and to live our lives. And Doctor Who is great at bringing those things out. Hear, hear. Yes. Okay, well, thank you, and you guys have been listening to the Doctor Who Match Machine. Uh, I am Amanda Cole, and hopefully you guys will come back for the next episode, so we'll see you then. Bye, Clay. Bye. Bye.